We are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Mark Greathouse. He just published a new book in his series of books. The title of this book is Nueces Blood and Texas Prepares Texans Prepare for War. But it is one in a four-book series of historical fiction. The earlier books were published fairly recently. Um, one is... Let's see, the most recent is Nuisa's Deceit, The Strip Gives Up Its Evil. The next is Nuisa's Reprise, The Tumbleweed Sagas. And then the first one is Nuisa's Justice. And they all have really good reviews on Amazon. He's also written a, a book of history titled Nicholas Dunn, The Making of a Texas Legend. So you'll see this Texas theme here. But he can talk more about the book. And so author Mark Greathouse, are you there? I sure am. Thanks, Will. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of your background, can you talk about your Texas background and what led you to write these books of historical fiction, all of them with the title Nueces? Absolutely. And uh, trust me, the, some of the downstream novels won't necessarily include Nueces in the title. Okay. But that being said, no, uh, my daddy was born in a little place uh, west of uh, Corpus Christi called Alice, Texas. It was named after the famed rancher Richard King's daughter was a, a railroad hub and uh, still have a ton of family down there. But uh, my dad was born there and uh, that's how I claim my Texas heritage actually. Uh, because uh, while I visited there a ton of times, I have uh, actually just planning to, uh, to, to actually purchase property down there in the very near future, my wife and I. So at any rate, I'm a fifth generation Texan. We got an ancestry that, uh, just grabbed my heart. Once I got done with a long business career, I got involved in a lot of uh, business organizations. Uh, I was a, what they call an angel investor doing private equity investment. I did uh, some entrepreneurship, uh, worked the, the, the corporate career ladder for a couple dozen years. And um, finally, when I retired, I went back to my true love, which was, was writing. I've, I've always written, done poetry, um, in fact, my first job out of college was writing tech manuals for Polaris ballistic missile submarines. Um, so it really, this whole, uh, love of the West and the Western frontier kind of hit me when I was digging through some old papers that my dad had left after he passed back in the, about 95. And, uh, there was a, 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 a biography left behind by one of my cousins, it turns out. And uh, it told the story of the family in Texas. And it really grabbed me because it was just full of chock full of information about this, this whole image of the Western frontier. It's, it's kind of like a, a final bastion of freedom. And uh, in fact, um, I have a cousin. His name was Patrick Dunn. He passed away about 50, 50 years ago now. But uh, he owned North Pottery Island which is just east of Corpus Christi, Texas. He raised cattle uh, across 75 miles of that island. And uh, he, when he sold it, he got, he, he said, there went his freedom. The idea of having land and cattle, it was uh, a, a, about the individual character of the frontier and the, the people that, that pursued it. So it grabbed me, William, it, it, it grabbed me deeply. Um, the, the characters that I'm able to draw from, from my real, from my actual family, 
that grace the pages of the of the fiction are are like the heroes and the protectors, knights errant, if you will. And you combine that with my own Texas ancestral heritage. It's it's these essences of freedom coupled with tenacity and ruggedness, rugged individualism, bravery of the settlers of the West. It intrigued me enough to really make lead me to immerse myself in in writing westerns. I mean, gotcha. And that so this takes place in that area, right? South North Padre Island, very close to the Mexican border, uh, yeah. Corpus Christi. Yeah, it's called the Nueces Strip. It really it goes from uh, Laredo all the way to Corpus Christi, Laredo on the Rio Grande, north to a place called Uvalde, and then south to Brownsville. So it was at one time even called the Wild Horse Desert. But it's named the Nueces Strip uh, because the northern border is on the Nueces River, Nueces Bay. Nueces, uh, uh, of course, being uh, the Spanish word for uh, for nuts, owing to the pecan trees that were prolific. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of famous for that, isn't that area still oh, famous? Oh yeah, yeah. And your Our, books are are set at a certain time frame, correct? Yeah the uh, the first first six there's actually going to be seven in the series. They've all been written. It's just release dates now. Um, this this a fifth one's coming out in September. The first six books occur in a time window that starts in 1856 and goes to 1865, the end of the war between the states. By the way, in Texas, they don't call it the Civil War. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then the final book in the series skips 20 years and brings the, the legend of the protagonist, a Texas Ranger named Luke Dunn, to a close. And notably, Dunn, Dunn is a, the, the family, my ancestral family name, uh, goes back to five brothers who immigrated from Ireland between 1845 and 1867. And uh, one of them, uh, Nicholas Dunn, came as a 15-year-old. He's the one that the biography is based upon. Uh, he arrived in 1850 as a 15-year-old young man, uh, built a life. He drove cattle. He became noted as a Comanche fighter. Um, he had a ranch that was in excess of 15,000 acres, raised longhorns, speculated, married the love of his life, had nine kids. Um, he was heart and soul of the, that whole Corpus Christi Alice region. He, he was, he, he was larger than life in many respects. It's kind of like the classic, uh, kid makes, immigrant makes good story, comes off the ship and adapts. I mean, in that area too, it was after the Alamo was 1836. So you're just kind of seeing the Mexican-American War uh, finish and the, the Indian Wars are still taking place, correct? Those happened. Oh, oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, the protagonist, he uh, his history is he arrives in America in eight, about 1854. He rides with a guy, Texas Ranger named James Callahan, who's trying to clean the Apache out of South Texas gets into all kinds of trouble. Um, and, uh, but that ultimately leads Dunn to become a Texas Ranger. And his mission then is, and keep in mind, he came out of, of Ireland in a situation where the British were very oppressive, very oppressive. It, the, the potato famine was going on. It was created. It was a created famine. Oh, oh my goodness, was it ever. And uh, the cash crops were sent to England and the potatoes were left to rot. Um, and he escaped that. It was uh, you know, a lot of rebellions going on. And his uh, his father said, you, you're going you're gonna to go. 
Um, and so uh, the, 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 what, what, in, in fact, this kind of pervades most of what I, the message I try to get through in my writing. And, and I heard a, a television personality say, use these words. And I went, wow, did he ever nail it? The West, Texas in particular, was settled by what I call second chancers. Think about it. If, you know, you got all these people who, yeah, they made a living. They squeaked out a life on the, in the East or another nation. They came West with all this terrific opportunity. Didn't matter whether it was ranching or farming or coal mine, gold digging or whatever it might be. It was second chancing. And these are people that had a purpose. Yeah, sometimes they went astray of the law. That's where Texas Rangers and what have you come in. But uh, it, it really became important. And you, you, I try to filter in um, uh, secondary characters in my books. Luke Dunn runs through the whole series, but he's got a wife that's the prototypical frontier woman. She's a courage and toughness and resourcefulness and the independence that's so necessary to thrive. She's not above shooting a Comanche or we're a bandit. And, and of course, they live through the Civil War and the foragers and, and all the stuff that goes on uh, around where they're living there near Corpus. Um, I've got a, a, uh, a Comanche chief, uh, a guy named Three Toes, kind of a cool name. Um, and uh, he's, he's inadvertently captured by the protagonist, by Luke Dunn, and he just, they, they develop a friendship. And Three Toes senses what's going to happen as to his people. And so he's trying to learn from Dunn. Um, and, and that whole story of, of how he gets on and begins to recognize the destiny of his people and understand what the white man's going to do becomes an important part of the story. And then there's a redemptive aspect. I've got uh, a woman named Scarlet Rose. Uh, she's uh, also referred to as the Laredo whore. Um, she, uh, she runs afoul of uh, some, some bad influences and uh, escapes. And uh, our hero uh, on the redemptive side sees promise and helps her escape from her profession, if you will. Um, and uh, over the course of the, of the books, she's redeemed. Um, and become successful. She gets married and a family and what have you. So, and importantly, I feel that what's what's a, a key thing to be delivering through this, and and I think we see it in we see it in a lot of literature. But I like to think Western genre really captures it. William is an underlying intellectual honesty. Punches aren't pulled. I mean, the language of the era was what it was. Um, and and you and you got to put it in perspective too. Uh, I mean, I think in, you, when when you place yourself in those environments, um, just going from San Antonio, say to Corpus Christi today, it's a two-hour drive. Zoom, you're 75, 80 miles an hour on, a, on the interstate. Right. Back then, man, you're on a wagon, man. You're you're, you're lucky to do 25 miles a day. Right, and a very hot temperature, very oh, difficult. Yeah. Hard scrabble environment back then, oh, for yeah. sure. That oh, frontier yeah. was a real frontier. Yeah. And so I find it 
in, in my, my heart of hearts and my purpose for really uh, uh, attaching and immersing myself in the, in the Western genre is uh, I, I've got a, a part of me that, that's always sided with, with education. Um, I, my wife and I homeschooled our boys. Uh, we're very fortunate. They're, they're, they went to college, both graduated from college, did real well. One's a software engineer. The other's a logistics guy for a trucking company. Um, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, so proud of them, you know, Eagle Scouts, the whole nine yards, athletes, what have you. Um, I've taught, I've spent about eight years teaching business courses at a local college. And I saw the, the products coming out of schools. And it, it was deep concern, just a deep concern. And uh, so I felt, and I, then I, oh, I served on a local school board. That was really eye-opening. If people really want to get out there and do something, get involved locally because that's where it's happening. All kinds of stuff can happen in Washington, D.C. in these highfalutin places. But let me tell you, where the rubber meets the road, local government, local schools, that kind of thing. Um, I, uh, I recently attended, I'm a, I'm a member of the Western Riders of America, and I, I recently attended their, uh, their convention in Loveland, Colorado. It was a wonderful, it was probably one of the best conventions I've ever been to in terms of meeting people and learning uh, about my craft and, and things that are going on in the industry. And, and it's a, a real concern. Censorship is huge. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, the Homestead Foundation, of the, they have a Homestead Foundation in the Western Riders of America. It's a wonderful organization. It, uh, uh, they're, they're putting together videos and, and curricula for elementary schools right now focusing on schools west of the of the of the Mississippi, but ultimately basically teaching history in a in a way that excites and motivates and grabs younger, you know, elementary age uh, age kids. And then they're very concerned with with censorship. You know, you you've got with these big, big publishers in New York, you have what you call sensitivity readers, making sure that authors don't, you know, say the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff. So I've been active with them. Um, I write monthly op-eds for a local newspaper on all sorts of um, all sorts of, of, of topics: uh, national debt, inflation, uh, the public education problems, cancel culture—you name it. Um, and then, so so, and you know, one of the things I I, I dare not fail to mention uh, today is uh, that my publisher, Defiance Press and Publishing is holding this Thursday night in the uh, Woodland Woodlands Marriott Waterway Hotel, north of Houston, a rally against censorship. They're bringing in Arizona Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio as a featured guest, and all the stable of Defiance Press authors are going to be there. Uh, starts at 7 o'clock on, uh, on Thursday evening. Is, Again, uh, is Defiance located in Texas? Yes, they're in okay. Condo. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Makes they're sense. About, about 40 minutes north of, uh, of Houston, actually. Gotcha. Well, it's an important subject. I mean, I think oh, I've, I've felt yeah. it myself. I just I just walked away from Facebook and Twitter. I just I don't even want to be canceled. I don't even want to be conditioned. I'm just done with that. I don't know how other people well, can put up with that. Facebook, can you be canceled? What's up? If you're not on Facebook, can you be canceled? No, not by them. I mean, I could probably be canceled <laughs> somewhere else, but you know, I want at I mean, least I won't get canceled by Zuckerberg. When you think of the of the weapons they have, doxing and narking and all these terms they have now. I, I, uh, I refer to it as the, uh, 
cult of wokeness. Yes, it's a it's a religion. It's like a postmodern religion. It seems to be. But going back to the to the books, you know, probably the the, the what what the the impetus, as I mentioned earlier on, was a cousin who wrote a a, bi, a, a, a little biopic of the family, about thirty five pages, registered with the Texas Texas Historical Society and all that sort of stuff. But he was a railroad man at heart. He started out 18 years old as an entrepreneur. He was uh, a teamster hauling rails and ties for building railroads in Texas. Him and his brother, he uh, that played out and he went and, and was a supervisor building the Panama Canal. Oh, passing. Um, and he was one tough guy, man. I mean, the stories he writes about, about his experience on the canal. Well, I'm I'm finishing up another biography that 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 has is about him, but he went on to uh, be be work the nickel plate uh, railroad up in Terre Haute, Indiana, and then returned to Texas, became an oil man. Um, so the family though is full of those kind of stuff. I had a cousin, uh, Red John Dunn, who uh, spent part of his uh, life as a uh, about ten years as a Texas Ranger, uh, got acquitted twice for murder. Uh, because it was part of his Texas Ranger duties um, and uh, uh, then became a dairy farmer. He was a vigilante for quite a while. Um, all the rough, rough life and, and conditions that went on at the time. And uh, it's interesting. He wrote a, 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 an autobiography that was edited by his daughter, uh, her, whose pen name was Lilith Lorraine. Her actual name was Mary Maud Dunn. By the way, she married a cow- cowboy named Cleveland Wright. So her married name was Mary Maud Dunn Wright. But let's leave that alone. Sure. <laughs> uh, but she was a famed, uh, uh, wrote, wrote science fiction novels and was a famed, famed poetess and a suffragette who was on J. Edgar Hoover's watch list. Wow. And, yeah, and she, in, the, in writing the preface to uh, Red John's book, challenged readers to think, well, this is the 1930s. If you lived back, in the 1800s, would you have comported yourself as well? How would you have responded? And I challenged my readers the same way. This was real life. I mean, we're not talking tulips and buttercups here. Right. Super hard scrabble and conflict all over the place and independent from the really the other states in the Union. Just all kinds of things happened. The Civil War. I mean, what was the Civil War like for Texas at that time? If you cover that, that. Yeah. Um, well, keep in mind at the time, about 30% of the Texas population was slaves, roughly 180,000. Pretty sizable. They were fearful, like many southern states were, of revolt. Um, you had pockets of resistance to it, to slavery. Uh, the German immigrants in particular, um, who were also very much against secession. Um, but in the Part of Texas I write about, the southern part, there wasn't a lot of call for slavery. I have to admit that my great, great, great grandfather, Nick Dunn's father, actually raised cotton and he had some slaves. You know, nothing to be proud of, certainly. And I, and I, I think it's kind of interesting that it really wasn't the most economically feasible way to operate a farm. But at any rate, Texas, I mean, I had, I had one, uh, one cousin name was Michael. He went out uh, to be a translator uh, for a, a patrol of Confederate troops who were chasing after some cattle rustlers. And uh, he went out under a flag of truce, tried to negotiate with the bandits, the rustlers. 
turned to go back to join the troops, they shot him in the back on his way back. You know, there's a guy 25 years old. It was what they faced. But overall, I mean, Corpus Christi, you had a, a, a Union schooner sitting out in Corpus in, in the in the Gulf every once in a while lobbing cannonballs into Corpus Christi. Most of the time they give warning, but that's what they faced. You had foragers from the Union side and the Confederate side passing through at different times. And, you know, you, you, you just did your best. But I think overall, I mean, another another interesting thing was uh, uh, my uh, my great great grandfather, John Dunn. He he actually ran caravans of cotton down the Texas coast through Brownsville and down to Matamoros to send out to get around the Yankee blockade. Right. Because that whole even though the whole Gulf of Mexico was blockaded. Correct. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So it was white gold, they called it, the cotton. Um, but it, it was part of part of the economy. You know, I mean, basically, and, and most anyone would tell you, I've, I've been doing a lot of study now on uh, Sam Houston. Um, and uh, they they recognized early on that that the South simply did not have what it was going to take to win any kind of conflict. Um if it wasn't for this, probably the stupidity of, of, of uh, a lot of the generalship in that war, it probably wouldn't have lasted as long and maybe 600,000 lives. It's very true. So the, uni the unions were incompetent until they got Grant, yeah. I think. Then he split yeah. the Mississippi in half. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had Jared and Sherman with their burn and pillage strategy. No, it's true. But yeah, it's really fascinating how that one part of the the current union was so independent. And the people's character was very different. I would say Texans really are unique in, especially at that time. And they they have such a unique state history in oh. that, in a very difficult, it's not like California, like the California settlers, they faced challenges and the Comanches and the Apaches were super violent, right? Oh my goodness. Well, then the word Comanche actually translates to enemy. Oh, wow. And it was said that, that if you got captured, if you were going to get captured by Comanche, you saved the last bullet. Right. Um, but, you know, I, an example, going back to Sam Houston, I mean, here's a guy who born in, he winds up, his, he's, uh, his, his family moves to Tennessee. He uh, ultimately gets into politics from Tennessee. He, uh, Runs into some hiccups, uh, wounds up, winds up going to Oklahoma. He marries a uh, a Cherokee woman. A um, couple years, they actually establish a trading post. Um, ultimately, and he he actually takes up. He he's born a Presbyterian. He takes up the 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 Indian ways, and then he decides he's going to go to Texas. And at the time, to go into Texas, you had to convert to Catholicism. Oh, interesting. Part of the requirement. That's, that's, that was a deal that Stephen Austin had worked out. So Houston comes to, to Texas, converts to Catholicism. Eventually, by 1850, he uh, remarries and ultimately he has half dozen kids, by the way, um, and uh, gets baptized as a uh, as a Baptist. So he's very yeah. flexible. He has flexible like, sensibilities. Working. <laughs> right. I mean, wasn't one of his scandals like his marriage was to a 14 or 15 year old girl and he was like, 
in his 40s or something. I forgot. Oh, yeah. But he was yeah. a smart guy. Didn't he speak different yeah. languages? I think he knew Greek. and He was he was pretty sharp, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I admire him. Yeah, actually, I'm working on an alternate fiction, alternate history for him right now. But, I mean, it's incredible. And there's the huge one, the second largest city in the country is named after this guy who was really a front, kind of a frontiersman. Oh, he was through and through. I mean, he stood 6'2". He's a big man. Um, carried a couple bullets in him. Um, as, as Tom wanted, you recall when uh, Santa Ana surrendered at San Jacinto, um, Houston was, was basically lying under a tree. He'd been shot. And, uh, you know, had a, had a bullet in the leg. And, uh, you know... He had still had the coolness to deal with Santa Ana when they brought the, the dude in. Right. So, but and what yeah. was that? 194. When was the when was the Mexican American War? It was 49? 1836 was Santa Uh Texas Independence, March 2nd. Um, and then you had that nine year hi hiatus before statehood in 1845. 46 was the Mexican American War, Zachary Taylor and all that. Um, and a lot of people came out of that. There were some awesomely famous Texas Rangers and what have you that um, guys like Jack Coffee Hayes and, and uh, Ben McCulloch and Rip Ford and guys like that that uh, helped bring peace to Texas. Keep in mind, Texas was economically a disaster. Uh, this was long before the oil boom. Um, and uh, uh, it, 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 uh, uh it was cotton was, was the big, was probably the biggest economic resource uh, of all. And then it, actually Texas Rangers often were just, were paid in land. Homesteading was big. Um, it was where there was plenty of land. And uh, there were gazillions of, of longhorns and uh, horses and buffalo running wild. They had a, uh, a line that ran the 98th, 98th Meridian that runs from Dallas through Austin and San Antonio. To the west of that was called the Comancheria, and wow. uh, that was rough country. You right. you know, it took a special kind of constitution to to, to do that. cross that line that meridian. Oh my yeah. goodness! So ultimately, though, we we go back and we've got action and grit and passion that's worn in. I I, I have to admit, um, I mean, the very first bad guy that's get killed gets killed in that first book, Oasis Justice. Doesn't get shot. He's he's got a gun drawn down on him, but what gets him is a rattlesnake. Right. You know, a little, little different. And and a lot of a lot of so much of the mayhem that went on was from, from was murders from ambush. Um, I have to admit that there's probably a little bit of uh, uh, sex enough to make a church lady blush, maybe a little bit. Um, but not overdone um, because that was also part of it. Um, you know, you go to McMurtry's uh, Lonesome Dove and good Lord, he can't even leave that topic alone. Um. <laughs> right. I mean, weren't there a lot of like uh, ladies, uh, I guess, whorehouses in one way to term it? Yes. There All were. Hour, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So, yeah. Sad. Um, I mean, what's the best little blank blank in Texas? Well, I think that has a legacy of all the way back there. Yeah. Or on the West, really. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my, my wife and I went up to uh, Rapid City, South Dakota earlier this year. Uh, we were looking at, at dead fish and deadwood and spearfish and Custer State Park and, and all around those environs. And you really get an appreciation for even today for what was and the, the harsh conditions. Uh, 
living in effectively mud huts a lot of times in 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 homesteading. And do you so you have your family background that in, influenced and inspired this historical fiction? Did you re? I mean, is it also just kind of the history that you picked up being well, from that area? Well, I have to admit, in college, as a history minor, I've always loved history. Would um, and uh, uh, doing my uh, family tree, I've so far I've tracked it down to twenty three hundred names across ten generations out of the five brothers that immigrated from Ireland wow. to Texas. Um, so I got a lot of family down there. There's probably four dozen that I'm, uh, I communicate I with, communicate it. with. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, we get together whenever I go down, I'm going down again at the end of this, this week for the defiance press rally. And, but then I'm, I'm extending to go down to Corpus Christi and visit family. Um, and uh, so it, it, it's, it's in your blood. And I, I should say that Texas, I would never characterize as a melting pot. Uh, Texas had distinct uh, uh, groups, segregation, not segregation so much. I mean, it was said, I mean, you know, Mexicans by and large were often treated worse than slaves. And there were less, you know, just not, there were lots, there was a lot of prejudice, no question. Um, and uh, it, it was unfortunate. By the same token, you had a lot of, I mean, I remember as a, as a teenager visiting a, an uncle's ranch down in Texas, and uh, I was so impressed with the vaqueros, the cowboys. My goodness, they knew their stuff. Uh, and some of the best cowboys out there, and even today, I, I mean, I go to rodeos when I can and boy, there's some, some bull riders and rock busters out there. Some, some black fellows, Mexican, you know, Hispanic guys. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, so I think there was an intolerance of, uh, in some respects, but at the same time, uh, could be a mutual respect. And it just, it was a circumstantial thing as much as anything. I mean, it still has a history. I mean, a Juneteenth, I think, is from the hearing of the freeing, freeing of the slaves in Texas, right? Well, actually, it was uh, Union troops came to Galveston and announced that, hey, didn't you guys know a couple years back they had the Emancipation Proclamation? That's what it came from. Gotcha. Um, so it technically freed the slaves had already been freed. They just already didn't know it yet. Yeah. Right. No, it's fascinating history. I mean, it's really an amazing time in American history and Texas history, really, too, because that was taking over a very, I mean, uh, conquering some very tough terrain and people, hard scrabble oh. people. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And the varmints. I mean, you didn't know when you were going to hit, you know, bear, mountain lion, uh, you know, rattlesnakes. Uh, I was, you know, taking a tour of the, of the King Ranch, which, as many folks know, is bigger than the state of Rhode Island. Uh, to this day, I mean, they turn out 50,000 head of cattle to the markets each year and about 250 uh, head of quarter horses. Um, but everywhere around, there's little signs posted. Watch out for rattlesnakes. Right. And that's, right. That's, that's, you know, and these days, um, I know I've got a lot of my family down there. They're, you know, with what's going on, they're carrying heat. 
right. Yeah, no, it's uh, Texas. I've been to Texas. I know the attitude still pervades to, to this day that came from the 19th century. There's definitely the sensibility of the way they drive, act. Uh, they drive friendly, of, don't they? What's that? They drive friendly. They're very friendly, but there's, uh, there's a code of honor. There's definitely a oh, Texas yeah. code of honor. Oh, yeah. And if you... I don't upset that. <laughs> well, so. back back when when the when the masks were so prevalent, I actually got a hold of a mask that that was emblazoned with "Don't mess with Texas." Yeah, no, it's the truth. Well, I mean, that pretty much, of course, that was designed for picking up litter on the highways, but don't mess Texas. So whatever. Right. Right. Well, I mean, even the driving in Texas, the attitude is like this curb is impeding my movement over to that road so i'll just go over the curve drive my truck over that you don't see that in other states left lane is for passing only if you're (laughs) hanging in that left lane you're going to get pulled over yeah that's That's the way you're supposed to drive all over the country it doesn't well yeah that's a whole nother area let's get back to the books so where's the best place to pick up these books so you have a seven-part series that's out now right the first four are out the fifth one comes out in, in uh, October, um, and uh, that'll be Noasis Grit. Um, and uh, they're available from online in print, e-audio, and e-book nice. from Amazon, yeah, Barnes & Noble, most popular booksellers. You can go directly to the publishers at, publisher at defiancepress.com. And, uh, and if... If people can catch me on the move around the country, they call me. T- my nickname down there is Tumbleweed. Gotcha. I my good cousin Jim gave me that one. He said, every time you come down, you just bounce from place to place like a tumbleweed. Hey, that's catchy. All right. That's okay. Um, and so the first one is Noose's Justice, right? So Noose's that would be Justice, for people right. to start the saga or parts of Yeah, you probably can learn a lot of history through just reading that. I mean, we talked in the pre-show about how these other books are important to you. They are. It's a it's a it's a core that it, it reads goes through the times. Um, I, I, I make a lot of references to historical events. Um, the uh, there, there's things that go on down there that are that um, are are so interesting. You, you, they're almost too unbelievable to be to be made into a movie or anything like that. Um, there's, there's a thing that uh, occurred in 1875 called the Good Friday Raid. And, and basically some Mexican bandits kidnapped a bunch of people and stole very expensive saddles and killed a few people. And they actually kidnapped some members of my, some of my ancestors and a whole bunch of my family. They put together a posse wow. and after, they went after them. So, that so that stuff, that stuff really did happen. I mean, right. They, they, and they rescued them. Movies. One, right. And then you also have the the nonfiction book too. So if people are uh, interested, Nicholas, uh, yeah. And he then the good. and then you have another one, nonfiction coming out, so people can kind of keep yes, yes. keep an eye on those biographies. And uh, then, oh, sorry, please go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, where's the best place place for people to reach out to you if you have social media or email? All right, yes, uh, you can get on my website at tumbleweed.me, and I've got. A gazillion videos if you want to wade through them. They're five, four, five, six minutes a piece. Different topics. Mostly, you know, there's always some book promotion going on. Um, I have a Facebook page at Tumbleweed Sagas. So you've got a Facebook page too. Gotcha. So yeah. This is your website. Let's see if I can yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, there you go. 
And uh, yeah, and I, I do include some uh, some occasional posts that gotcha. are taken from uh, from my videos. Uh, one of the things that that came out of that convention I mentioned of the, of the Western Riders of America was that censorship is a culture killer. It is. Uh, when, you, when you remove a culture's stories, you remove the history. It's like talking about the philosopher George Santayana who said, you know, those who fail to understand history are doomed to repeat it. Well, here you go. Yeah, I mean, it's part of a larger thing. It's not only just censoring it. They're really the modern book burners and oh. uh, really terrible human beings who, oh, yeah. who really are into interest in censoring. And they want to replace actual historical fact with fake kind of stuff oh, that they tell me about it. so it's yeah. really profoundly you remember profoundly. the movie remember the movie Fahrenheit 451 yes very much so. yeah <laughs> I remember the book too Ray Bradbury right? oh yeah Ray Bradbury right and right. uh <clears throat> so where this uh to say again where this against censorship the defiance press is having an anti-censorship that's meeting. at the at the Woodlands Marriott Waterway Hotel it's north of Houston and it's at 7 p.m on Thursday evening the 29th 29th and uh, there's going to be beverages, hors d'oeuvres. Uh, you get to meet, you get your picture taken with Sheriff Joe, Joe Arpaio. Uh, there'll be other authors there. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking looking forward to several of, of Defiance Press authors I haven't met yet, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, the, uh, the, the Defiance Press founder, uh, Dave Roberts, of course, will be there. Uh, great individual. Uh, really, really love Dave. And... Uh, it's it's just the idea is to point up what we're faced with, and uh, I'm I've gotten you know involved with the Western writers. I think our our next convention uh, surely will, uh, which will be uh, in June of next year in Great Falls, Montana, surely is going to have a segment that's going to deal deal with uh, with censorship. That that whole idea of uh, and and I she. I, I posted a, I mean, sometimes it takes strange forms. We talk about shadow banning and stuff like that, but I posted a review of a book on Amazon and it got rejected because it didn't meet community standards. And I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at their standards and I couldn't be for the life of me, figure out what they were talking about. <laughs> what algorithm kicked that it out? It wouldn't be the first. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the service, what do you mean? I don't know. What are you talking about? Oh, so so, it, but it's a form of censorship, no doubt. No, you doubt. Know? no it's a yeah. shame too because a lot of that stuff will get lost. And well, worse you know, yet, our kids are on the receiving end of this in no school. Doubt. Yeah, and you're we're all being conditioned, and that's really the the sad no. sad part of it. Is some of the kind of people who may not be more hard-headed would uh, allow this to happen. And, oh, yeah. and it's a trend that's a monstrous trend. It leads to awful things. And uh, history can, history will tell us, could tell us that. So, Oh, wait, first you gotta, first you gotta be willing to look at history. Real. Well, that's history. true. Well, Real here's history. the thing. Maybe people can learn from the history in your books of tough, like independent people who face challenges and overcome them and, and, Learn from that and integrate those into today's world. And then, How about and then that? Ask, ask themselves, could you, would you be able to overcome? Can you overcome today? Right. That's a good question. Some people I don't think can. So, again, the author's name is Mark Greathouse. The book that he's just putting out there you uh, are. is Noose's Blood, but it's a four-part book that have been put out. You can get the audio book. There's just going to be a seven-part series. 
And there's also, if you're interested in nonfiction book, one published and another one to come out soon. So keep an eye out for Mark Greathouse. Thank you so much for your yeah. time. William, thank you so much. Enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Great. Great talking you. with you. All right. Don't go anywhere. I'll just do this. Sure.